University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. We'll take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 27. Now, technology is one of the most marvelous things of modern society. So take, for example, uh, the iPhone. There is more technology in this device than there was in the lunar module and the rocket that put man in space and on the moon. Okay? Think about that for just a second. And I'm not addicted to my phone, but hold on just a second. got to respond to this message here. Okay, what was I saying? I, I do have an abundance of utilities that I have with my phone that benefit, uh, benefit my work and my friendships. And within this device, I have um, my, my calendar, my email, my, my working documents, important records and reminders, church directory, social media accounts, banking and investing, and so many different things. And while it's amazing to consolidate all of this into a piece of uh, equipment, it, sometimes it can be a little bit of a pain in the rear end, if you know what I mean. So take, for example, a couple years ago, I was on a conference call while I was driving, and I came to a stopping place, and I got out of the car and forgot that my phone was in my lap, and so it landed on the concrete face down. And when I picked it up, of course, my screen is useless. I can't touch anything on it, and I can't see anything on it. A touch screen without the ability to see what's on it is worthless. You know, sometimes it's difficult in the same way for us to see clearly how God is at work in our lives, how God is at work within our faith community. Obscurity and lack of precise steps often lead to frustration and confusion and miscues. But at the same time, we know that following Jesus is not a shot in the dark. It's not a guesstimation. Instead, following Jesus is the ongoing process of discernment. Discernment is the collaboration of openness and receptivity and creativity and spiritual formation. In this 2020 vision we are in, it's not about certainty or precise outcomes. Instead, it's about faithfulness to God and faithfulness to each other. It's an opportunity for us to find how we can bring our best selves to this faith community and boldly step forward to, to grow the presence of Christ in our community. And for this, this morning, we take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verse 27. It reads this way, after this, Jesus, yep, it's going to be one of those sermons. Hold on just a second. It's important that we lay the context of what's happening here. You can't just begin a passage after this Jesus without actually knowing what's going on. So what is going on? Well, Jesus has been on a hot streak calling unlikely peasants and fishermen to come follow him. He's healed a man of leprosy. He's restored the ability to walk to a paralyzed man. He's gone toe-to-toe with the self-righteous religious leaders who are condemning him for helping people on the Sabbath day. And people have marveled and witnessed all of these amazing things. And so for Luke to say, after this, you know we're coming out of something good and heading into something that's really awesome. And so Luke chapter 5, verse 27. 
After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Hold on, wait just a second. I'm a little confused. Why is Jesus hanging out with a tax collector? In Jesus' day, tax collectors were the scum of the earth. No one likes taxes unless you work for the IRS, and I'm pretty sure they don't even like taxes. And yet, here is this man who is despicable in Jesus' day. Why? Because he carried the threat of Rome on his lips and could take from the people what they did not want to give. And on top of that, because he had the threat of Rome on his lips, he could take a little extra of something, something on the side for himself without threat of them complaining to the authorities because, again, he had the threat of Rome on his lips. And so to the Jews, a tax collector was public enemy number one their very own that has betrayed them by taking money from their overlords and using it for himself. And yet, Jesus is eating a meal with this despicable man. We need to pause here and and absorb this. Because for Jesus, there was no person or place that was out of bounds. Jesus went where his love was most effective. Therefore, Jesus found himself with the so-called sinners and diseased, outcast and the most hated people of his day. And Jesus did not expect people to come to him. Instead, Jesus went to the tax collector's booths. He went to their homes. He went to the community of lepers, to the outcast, to the impoverished towns. Jesus went to anyone and anywhere because that's how radical God's love is. Jesus showed the radical love of God by the way that he persistently broke bread with the so-called sinners of his day, touched the lives of the sick, and healed the lives of the broken. A prostitute, you were not out of the way of God's love. Leprous and bleeding, you were not too disgusting for Jesus. Blind and lame and useless to society, you were profoundly worth the kingdom of God. You see, it all comes down to this thing called incarnational love. You see, it's an indescribable love that goes over all social and religious and political and and ethnic and man-made boundaries because God's love is incarnational. What that really means is that God's presence is with us. That's what we see through Jesus as the incarnational presence of God. God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus didn't sit on some high and mighty throne, but instead we see the incarnational presence of God go to people in their need. No matter the political or the religious or the ethnic boundary, Jesus brought God's love to all people. And Levi is the highlight of our text. Because if Levi is deserving of God's love, then we know that all people are deserving of God's love. As Jesus walked among, he delivered a message and an invitation into new life. And it was to the rough and the dirty and the outcast and the broken and marred creation. And Jesus brought this incarnational presence of God. It was this abiding love that God dwelled among us and welcomed us unto God's self. As one author put it, we need to know that God is surely present in our lives and in the world. 
We need to know that God's vision is larger than our own and lures us to become like Jesus in our thoughts and our behaviors. We need to believe that God loves the world. What happens in our lives, in the lives of marginalized individuals and families, truly matters to God. This is the meaning of incarnation and the reason of hope. You see, to truly understand God, we must embrace the compassionate presence of the incarnational God seen in Jesus. In the incarnation, we see who God is, a God of compassion and transformation. And what happens next in our story personifies how often religion fails to live up to God's expectations and God's ways, because it says this in verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belong to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. This is a, an amazing moment in the ministry of Jesus, and yet religious people try to ruin it. You see, that's what religious people do. They, they actually try to stand in the way of God and God's love for all people because they always have a rule, a word, a scripture, a command that somehow gets in the way of what God is truly trying to do in our world, which is to transform people by love and grace. And Jesus sees that in this moment and sees right through their arrogance and their smugness and their self-righteousness. How often does religion get in the way of God's love? How often do we think we know what is best, who is in and who is out, who belongs and who doesn't belong, who's deserving of God's love and not deserving of God's love. And yet we recognize that Jesus embraces this moment in verse 31 and says this, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, this story joins a cavalcade of other stories that teach us something profound about Jesus' ministry. It's incarnational. The story of Jesus venturing across the Sea of Galilee to transform the life of one demon-possessed man. The story of Jesus putting his teaching aside to heal a broken man who was lowered right before him. The Samaritan woman at the well, the story of Jesus healing a man at the Bethesda pool again and again, Jesus teaches us something radical about ministry. Ministry is not screaming hellfire messages to the masses and standing with a stone ready to break the flesh of a so-called sinner because we have religious convictions. Instead, ministry is what we see right here in this moment. It's about transformational love. It's, it's not about overlooking an individual who needs God's love because we are fixed on some sort of greater religious ideal that we think that matters. Ministry is not about being right all the time or having our opinion heard. It's not about carrying ourselves in the world as if we are God's gift of holiness and righteousness to those who believe that we need to judge. In this story, there is no pulpit there is no sanctuary there is no program or church building this is jesus in flesh and blood touching lives being present showing up and transcending love to others ministry is incarnational ministry is about being the presence of jesus through the church and beyond the church individually in our daily lives 
Now, technology, as I said earlier, is a, a marvelous thing. At the same time, technology in our phones can, can crumble a, a situation in an instance. Take, for example, in the early days of um, our marriage, Jennifer and I would uh, text each other during the day. And on one particular day, I sent my wife a text message of just how marvelous and attractive she is. Now, I use some descriptive and flattering and merrily appropriate words in this text, if you get my drift. And I felt proud and, you know, I was a young husband just trying to tell my wife I love her. Except when I got a response back from her, it said, excuse me, did you mean to send this to me? So I texted her back, well, of course this is for you. What's up? Did I say something wrong? Uh, the message came back, I just think you sent the right message to the wrong person. And so when I took a closer look at this wonderful message I had sent my wife, I accidentally sent it to the chairman of the deacons of the church I was serving at the time, <laughs> who happened to be a woman. <laughs> you see, technology can do marvelous things for communication, except when you send the right message to the wrong person. It's all too easy for us to see this brilliant ministry encounter with Jesus, to encounter the many stories and the theological implications, to hear that ministry is foundationally incarnational, and to think that Jesus is sending the right message to the wrong person. You see, the message that Jesus is trying to send is just for pastors, just for church leaders, those who feel called to incarnational ministry. This is messages just for church events or programs that have been marketed and designed to be easy with no great commitment of time that it takes to be selectively a part of it. This message is for people that have the right set of skills to do the right task, but above all things, this message is certainly not for me. But what I want us to see this morning from this encounter with Levi and the subsequent encounters with the tax collectors and the so-called sinners and the self-righteous religious and the prostitutes and the lepers and the poor and the wealthy and the overwhelmingly right and wrong is that Jesus is sending the right message to the right person, namely you and me. Like Jesus, you and I are called to be the incarnational presence of Jesus in this world. We're called to be the flesh and blood, the physical expression of God's love and mercy and grace among the sick. We are called to be the transformational presence of God in our lives, in our, in our families, in our co-workers, in our neighbors, in our strangers, and people very different from us. This seems like such a, a cosmic idea. It seems so radically overwhelming that we are called to be the presence of Jesus in this world. But this is not a message just for ordained clergy, for church leaders. This is a message for you, and you, and you, and you, and me. You are uniquely equipped and gifted and resourced and experienced for the daily opportunity to be the incarnational presence of Jesus. Distinctly, you where you have come from, what you have experienced, your passions, your skills, your strengths, your perspectives are, are uniquely postured and perfectly tailored to be the presence of Christ in this world. Now, uh, there's an element up here I want to show you. This is called tantalum. Now, it was first discovered by a Swedish chemist in 1802, 
And it's this rare blue metal that for such a long time was used in, in cheap electronic uh, capacitors. And it was rarely used, except in the last 10 years, it has boosted because it's in every single smartphone that you have in your pocket right now. Now, if you were to ask me how my phone actually works and functions, I could not tell you. I know I can turn it on, I can get my password or face recognition to unlock, I can click on an app of my choice and make a phone call, but to think about the functionality of how that works is way above my pay grade. But if I were to break that down into size to help me understand, I, I might be able to begin to understand it. So there is a network, and my phone is like a miniature radio on that network using an antenna on my cell phone that sends and receives signals. There's a processor in my cell phone that allows me to answer and use the internet and share messages. The camera in my phone uses high-resolution images to capture a picture. And then there's some sort of magical wizard inside my phone that then sends it off and does what it's supposed to do. When you break it down into size, I can begin to understand. So let's break this thought down into size, being the incarnational presence of Christ. When you really begin to think about that in small chunks, it begins to make sense. Often our misconception of the early church is that everybody quit their job so they could preach the gospel 24-7. But instead, what we learn from the book of Acts is that while there are some commissioned to preach God's word, most others went about their days being the presence of Christ at work, in the marketplaces, at homes, and in their communities. As the great priest Henry Nouwen beautifully put it, more and more the desire grows in me to simply walk around, to greet people, to enter their homes, to sit on the doorsteps, to play ball, to throw water, and to be known as someone who wants to live with them. It's a privilege to have the time to practice this simple ministry of presence. I wonder more and more if the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name, to eat with them, to drink with them, to listen to their stories, to tell my own, and to let people know with words and handshakes and hugs that I don't simply like them, but I truly love them. You see, incarnational ministry is first and foremost about intentionally being present in our lives, in the moments of our lives, in the lives of people around us. It's not first and foremost rescheduling and drastically shifting everything that we do, but it's instead of thinking about how and why we do what we do. Incarnational ministry is about being wholly available to others at work, at school, at gym, at CrossFit, at yoga studios, at grocery stores, at coffee shops, at neighborhoods, and other places we encounter each day. Incarnational ministry is about being radically present by the way that we use our eyes and our ears and our mind and our heart and our soul to see what's happening around us, to the people we encounter, to the stories we hear, and the opportunities to act. Being wholly available means that we truly care about what's going on in people's lives, listening to their stories, sharing in their joys and sorrows, and interweaving our life with theirs. Every profound miracle that we see within Jesus' ministry, we also see moments where Jesus did the practical ministry of breaking bread with others. Everyone likes to eat, both the self-righteous and the so-called sinners. And when we think about it, Jesus did some of his impactful ministries by simply 
tapping into the most basic human need, which is to eat food. The act of sharing a meal with someone, it it breaks down all barriers. It, it, It connects us to something deeper because it's something that we all need and something in sharing a meal together, we open our hearts and minds to one another. Incarnational ministry at its most basic and vital form is about being the best friend and coworker and neighbor and stranger and companion and spouse and parent you can be to the people you encounter each day. On Thursday night, I had a a daddy-daughter night since Jennifer was hosting a group of ladies from UBC at our house for game night. And at some point, unfortunately, I had to bring the girls home for bedtime. So Madison and Aubriana and I quietly walked through the front door. We went straight to the girls' room. They put on their PJs. They slipped into bed. When I came out, I had to go through a gauntlet of ladies sitting in my living room trying to be as quietly and discreet as I possibly can. For maybe two seconds, it took me to cross from one side of the house to the other. I was blown away. What I took in was the powerful expression of God's incarnational presence through laughter, through playing silly games and being present with one another. You see, in the mere act of gathering for two to three hours a month, this ladies group has profoundly taken the opportunity to be Jesus' presence to their friends beyond UBC by conversing about a book, by sharing a meal, by playing games together. In fact, in that space, in that night, there were several faces that were unfamiliar to UBC, but they were friends of this group of ladies. And yet, in this moment, they were experiencing the incarnational presence of Christ through our church community. You see, while we are called to be the presence of Christ individually in our day-to-day lives, we're also called to be the presence of Christ through the church community. And for far too long, the The proposed relationship with the church has been transactional. It's been a a one to two hour worship experience on Sunday morning. And while the church exists for us to gather for worship, the work of Jesus goes beyond and deeper than music and responsive readings and prayer and hearing me run my mouth for 25 minutes. And yet we spend such an overwhelming amount of time as the church committed to a one hour time slot on Sunday morning. Worship is important for us together, but it's equally important that we go be the presence of Christ in our community. The church is not intended to be this compartmentalized segment of our lives, but it's intended to be a community that we grow in faith together, that we form friendships, that we are shaped and formed by one another, and the church community bolsters us to be a vibrant faith within Baton Rouge. Uh, earlier this year, while I was in the Northwest attending a pastor's conference, uh, Jennifer and I had a chance to see uh, Mount Hood. And it's a remarkable um, mountain um, and, uh, where uh, the Timber Lodge was built at the top of it. Um, for those that aren't familiar, the Timber Lodge is the outer exterior of the hotel that you see in the 1980 movie, The Shining. Okay? Um, anyways, uh, we get to the top of the mountain It's treacherous. You have to have all-terrain tires or chains on your tires even to get up to the top of the mountain. And so while we went up from the mountain from by way of Portland, we were coming back down and going a different direction to get back to the conference. Except when we got to the bottom of the mountain, um, my cell phone GPS wasn't working. And so I did what every guy does in that situation. I took an educated guess and drove on with, with confidence. 
Except I never got a cell signal, so we continued to drive for over an hour until I finally got a cell phone signal, cut the GPS on, asking it where I'm supposed to go, and realized we had driven over an hour in the complete opposite direction. It's not helpful when you have no connection. You see, what I want us to see this morning is that the gospel must be connected at the central piece of everything that we do as individuals and as the church. We can get so wrapped up in meetings and committees and boards and agendas that we forget that ministry is about introducing people to Jesus. And that is the most crucial aspect of our existence as a church. It's far too easy to come in and out of this space on Sunday mornings out of routine or out of the overwhelming logistics of leading worship only to lose sight of why we do what we do. The purpose of the church is to be the incarnational presence of Jesus in our lives and in the lives of our community. The church isn't being the church if the transformational message of the gospel is not central to everything that we do. So consider why we do some of the things that we do. From Mother's Day Out program to the soccer academy, from connect groups to how we present ourselves online, from how we think about reaching each age represented within Baton Rouge to our partnership with Highland Elementary School, we are trying to keep the gospel central to all that we do as a faith community. And while we do offer a safe space for children to, to learn and to grow and enjoy playing soccer, we're using these opportunities as an ongoing opportunity to be the presence of Christ, to, to live out the transformational gospel in the lives of these young families. We, through, through our presence of grace and love, are inviting people to get to know the Christ who has transformed our life. You see, folks, within a square mile of our church are thousands of new apartments, dozens of new businesses, over 50,000 faculty, staff, and students converging on LSU's campus, neighborhoods of boomers and millennials flipping homes in St. James Place, the largest retirement community in our state. But how are we being the incarnational presence of Jesus in these people's lives and in these spaces? How might we take the paramount and challenging and necessary and life-giving invitation to be authentically like Jesus in this world. I can tell you this, people are not gonna just stroll in to a worship gathering on Sunday morning because we have a set of buildings and a sign up front. People want and need the church, the followers of Jesus, to live in his ways and to be his presence of radical grace and hope and peace and mercy and justice and love in this community. People want and need the church, the followers of Jesus, to be authentic in their faith. People want and need the church, the followers of Jesus, to, to care just as much about bringing the living gospel into our communities as we care about worship and bylaws and agendas and meetings. As the late Brenning Manning put it, do we believe that God of Jesus loves you beyond worthlessness and unworthiness? beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God's love is without condition, without reservation, and loves you in this moment as you are and not as you should be? 
if you do, now reflect that transformational love with everyone around you.